This is Oklahoma football. All right, we're back. Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, back at it again for another game week edition of the Main Live Podcast. I am recording from a cold, windy, icy Norman, Oklahoma. Ice Mageddon 2020 is in full effect here. And Adam, thankfully, the power is back on here at the house. Uh, it came back on late yesterday afternoon. And uh, because of that, now we're able to do the podcast. So uh, finally. Yeah, it's uh, it's not much better here in Dallas, uh, except we we don't have ice, but it is still freezing. Uh, so uh, I am very thankful that I still have power. Yeah, the uh, the weather here has been absolutely insane. There's been over, I think as of this morning, there was over 350,000 people uh, like within 100 miles of Oklahoma City that haven't that hasn't had power uh, th- this week. So the, the wind chill has been in the teens this week and sitting on a beach right now sounds absolutely incredible. So Adam, before we dive into this TCU recap and kind of breaking down the OU Texas tech game coming up on Saturday night, speaking of things on a beach, I saw, I saw a couple of good things on Twitter yesterday. Uh, yours, yours kind of, uh, kind of, kind of made me laugh. Your follow up to it. Uh, Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian West put out a tweet yesterday that we just have to touch on for a real quick second. She turned 40 this week. She tweets out yesterday, after two weeks of multiple health screens and asking everyone to quarantine, I I surprised my closest inner circle with a trip to a private island where we we could pretend things were normal just for a brief moment in time. We danced, rode bikes, swam near whales, kayaked, watched a movie on the beach, and so much more. I realize that for most people, this is something that is far out of reach right now. So in moments like these, I am humbly reminded how privileged my life is. Adam, Adam, what what were your thoughts when you saw something like this? And kind of show us what what your tweet was. I I thought yours was fantastic. (laughs) Oh, I just, I rolled my eyes. Uh, She's so out of touch. And I think it kind of also shows a little bit just how, uh, you know, California and some of the coastal areas are are just so different than the rest of uh, the rest of the country uh so of course you know it's going around making the rounds on twitter everybody was taking that exact copy that she said but posting a different picture i think i saw someone do lost to the tv show um and so i immediately thought of beach day from the office so i found uh, found the image of michael scott running a hot dog eating contest on the beach and just a sense of normalcy yeah definitely definitely gotta like and who the hell has the ability to fly 40 of their closest friends and family members to a private island that just that just doesn't feel normal like it just, just to feel normal for a minute i it, it just goes to show like how out of touch you know hollywood and, and celebrities and you know california new york it just goes to show how out of touch it is but i thought your your response was fantastic and i wanted to touch on that just a little bit so well, uh, again, this this is predominantly an OU football podcast, and we had a big performance from OU this past weekend. 33-14, OU takes down TCU up in Fort Worth. And, Adam, I thought that for the most part, it was OU's most complete game on all three sides of the football. Uh, they put together four quarters for the first time since Missouri State, and, boy, did they look good doing it. Yeah, they did. It was, it was kind of different, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit as we break down both sides of the ball, but it felt it felt weird throughout the game, just the the rhythm and pace of everything, um, and it, the final score was not 
it's not what we're used to seeing, but it's still an impressive win. I think we're, we're more used to seeing a, a 20, 20 uh, 19 point win come from like a 56 to 37 type of score. So it's a little bit different, but um, I'll take it. You know, it feels like the team is starting to really round a corner and, and really play uh, well in all phases. So and like that, what we see. That's something that, that, that has been extremely frustrating for OU fans throughout the first five weeks of the of the season was, you know, you, you would see OU play really good football in spurts where you'd get, uh, you know, a couple quarters uh, of really good football and then they would collapse late in the second half. So finally seeing this young team, and again, this is a team made up of predominantly underclassmen, finally seeing them grow up and put together a full game's worth of, of good competitive dominant football uh, was definitely something to see. Um, Adam, starting over here on the offensive side of the football, um, it, it starts first and foremost. I thought Spencer Rattler, he played his best game uh, in an OU uniform, 13-22 to 22 passing, 332 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he, I thought the, 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 the most eye-popping stat of, of his performance was he averaged 25.5 yards per completion, five of, which, five of which went for at least 33 yards, and we know both of his touchdown passes were to Marvin Mims, a 50-yarder and a 61-yarder. So I thought that Rattler, you, you can definitely tell that he's starting to get more comfortable. The, the pocket presence is getting good. Uh, he's starting to run the offense a little bit better. He's and Again, the, just that, that comfort, comfortability that is coming with experience. Yeah, I agree. I, he looks much more comfortable. He's taken what the defense is giving him. He's protecting the football a lot better. In real time, watching the game, it is a little bit strange because he had so few completions, and there were some drops in there that probably would have helped with the rhythm of, of just the pace of it all. But, um, but yeah, going back at the end of the game and looking at the stats, and you're like, whoa, he had so many uh, completions go for 40-plus yards. Um, I think he's really starting to – to feel it. And I think he's starting to figure out who his guys are. There's definitely your, your top three, we Stogner and Mims and uh, surely we'll talk about Mims in a little bit, but he needs to get some more playing time. And, and it almost seems like TCU was what was a game in which we were finally able to see kind of the old Lincoln Riley offense kind of come to fruition. The, the offensive line that that was their best performance of the year. They were able to run the football running game is still not quite where it was, but they're constantly progressing TJ Pledger back to back hundred yard games. I thought that he was fantastic. He really uh, he, he really got better as the game went on. And like I said, when you're able to run the football and you've got the weapons on the outside and a guy like Spencer Rattler, who's got the arm talent to make any throw on the field, that's when you're able to take the roof off the defense and, and get some of those big plays downfield uh, that, that we saw happen quite a bit this past Saturday. So, uh, But what, what you were referring to, dude, Mar Marvin Mims, he's wide receiver number one right now. Going into the year, we thought it was going to be Charleston Rambo who was going to step up, be that next kind of alpha dog in that receiving room. CD, Hollywood, DD, that, that there's always been somebody that's kind of taken the reins. And even though this kid's just a freshman, um, you, it'd be hard to press me otherwise to, to, to say that he's not the, he's not performing as the best wide receiver on this football team right now. Yeah. And we've seen him do it all throughout the year. He's caught the deep ball. He's been wide open on crossing routes. He's done contested catches with defenders right on him. Um, so he, he's proven himself. I think he's the go-to guy. We, I still like what he's doing. He seems to disappear for long stretches, and uh, at OU, you know, going back in the past, C.D. Lamb, Marquise Brown, Sterling Shepard, D.D. Westbrook, these were guys that didn't disappear like that. So still want to see more from Weiss, but I, I like what I'm seeing in the progression that he's, he's got so far. Uh 
I thought that Theo, I, I thought that he played a, a pretty good game. Three catches, 87 yards. Didn't really have, you know, a, a big like touchdown moment or like a, a game defining, you know, catch or play. Um, but, but I thought that he was good. And again, the, the more that we talk about as the offensive line in the running game continues to to progress, that's when you're able to, you know, you, you're going to force defenses to, you know, bring extra guys up into the box. And that's going to create some more, uh, you know, matchup opportunities, more one-on-one situations for a Theo Weiss uh, a, out there uh, on the outside. And again, when you've got Marvin Mims making the plays that he is, it's only going to create more opportunities, not only for Theo Weiss, but Austin Stogner, who, um, I thought that Stogner was that was probably the the worst game that, that he's played so far this year. Not that he wasn't wasn't good, wasn't bad, but there were so many times it, it, it felt like at least a handful of times where he would uh, have the opportunity to make a catch with a with an undersized DB uh, covering him, and whether it was just him not attacking the football or letting the defensive player you know kind of put a body on him, you know, kind of box him out a little basketball reference. But I, I definitely think that that's something where Stogner needs to be a little bit more dominant uh, in his play moving forward. For sure. He had a couple of drops on third downs that uh, killed some drives for us in the first half. And so would love to see him get his, his hands away from his body and still catch those or at least not be affected by a smaller defender hitting him right when the ball is, is arriving. Uh, it's 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 sad. Maybe this is a segue into the defense, but you just see that happen over and over again. You're like, how is it that TCU can get a guy to do that against Austin Stogner, but Buki can't do anything against anybody that's six <laughs> foot five or taller? Well, so. and, and I know that TCU is they're not what they have been in years past. But again, you're talking about the defensive back. That's the strength of that defense. The two safeties we talked about last week. Those are going to be you know top two, three round NFL draft picks. Uh, after the season's over. So, uh, and, and again, Stogner, he, he's made some really good competitive catches. He was tremendous down the stretch in the win against Texas a couple weeks ago. So, uh, but definitely want to see him continue to progress and uh, be, the, be the player that, that we know how dominant he can be moving forward. Um, but, but again, but kind of before we transition over to the other side of the football, looking back at it, haven't had a chance to watch all of the TCU replay back, but have got to watch quite a few snippets of it. Uh, and again, offensive line, I thought this was the best game of the year. Um, the, the whole left side of the offensive line, uh, you know, Marquise Hayes, uh, Anton Harrison, I thought that the left side of the offensive line was dominant. Dusty posted a couple clips, a couple plays showing their physicality, the footwork, and, uh, kind of, you know, the pancakes that they were able to accumulate uh, on Saturday. But, dude, my, my biggest takeaway from the offensive line I don't I, – I seriously hope that moving forward, and it starts in Lubbock on Saturday night, I want to see Chris Murray more at right guard. It, w- it was so fitting that not, – not to say that Tyrese Robinson has been bad this year, but he's definitely he's – kind of, he, he hasn't progressed after what we saw from him a year ago. And it's just, it's just so fitting that the first play, the first run play, that Chris Murray's out there at the right guard position – uh, he he pulls around to the left side and OU pops their longest run play of the year. So I liked what I saw from uh, uh, from from Chris Murray, both in run and pass protection. For sure, I think you do want to see him a lot more. He may not be the starter yet this week, but I think he can definitely take a, a lot more snaps at that right guard position. And uh, with the news say that uh, EJ and Doma Ogar is entering the transfer portal, I think you definitely want Chris Murray to get a, a ton of experience running uh, this scheme so that he can be ready to take over that center position. Um, or, or he, I guess, I, yeah, pro- I think he's probably the favorite for the center position next year. And I think Andrew Rames probably your right guard. So uh, I think you definitely want him getting in there and uh, getting some run 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of versatility. That's kind of one of the things that Bill Beatonbow, that's kind of been his bread and butter, recruiting these offensive line guys coming in that can play a guard or a tackle position or even some of the ones like an Andrew Rame or a Chris Murray that have the ability and the talent to slide from that guard over to the center position. So, uh, again, excited about the, the offensive line. seems like they're starting to come together and gel and we'll we'll touch on it here a little bit later in the podcast, but seeing some of the statistics, the way that Texas Tech defends the running game, oh, you should uh, oh, you should have a very nice uh, n- nice performance this upcoming Saturday night in the rushing category. So over here to defense, Adam, OU gives up three hundred and fifty one total yards, seventy five rushing, fourteen total points. And that defensive line, man, they are dominating right now. Yeah, they, they really are. And we're starting to see some depth on it too. Uh, Marcus Stripling, uh, Joshua Ellison. So even the backups are really starting to produce. And uh, here we are another week talking about Will Perkins, uh, Ronnie Perkins play. Will he not play? No one seems to know. But man, if they get him back, it just it just continues to make that that unit look better. Um, and, and remember in our first podcast talking uh, before the very first game, we were talking about the defensive line is being the weakest out of probably all the position groups yet here they are they're the best uh almost halfway through the season i guess we are halfway through the season on a 10 game yeah schedule, it's so, yeah. it's it's kind of sad that we're that we've reached the halfway point but no c- completely agree perry on winfrey uh he, he's lived up to the expectations isaiah thomas he's been a big surprise and a, and a bright spot i think that he's probably been ou's most consistent and most impactful defensive lineman so far and when you look at those two guys and look at LaRon Stokes, you know, the, the, those guys have been a lead, but the youngsters are really starting to come on. You mentioned Corey Roberson got his first career sack. Marcus Stripling got another sack. And Jordan Kelly, who I thought had one of the defensive plays of the game, you know, staying at home, being assignment sound, and blowing up that reverse attempt that TCU did, uh, resulting in a tackle for loss. But, uh, no, defensive line is playing extremely well. And when you've got a defensive line that is able to – you know, get pressure on the quarterback, plug those gaps in the running game. That creates more opportunities for your linebackers, and it takes a lot of pressure off your defensive backs. We'll touch on the DBs here in a second, but uh, like I said, after that performance, OU is now ranked 25th nationally in total defense, which, might I add, is better right now than Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and LSU. Cannot believe those words are actually coming out of my mouth. But as good as the defense has played, over the last, you know, five, six quarters. And again, I think that they're building and really progressing in a positive direction. A stat that still pops out is OU is 67th in pass defense right now. So secondary still got a little bit of a ways to go. Yeah, uh, we I tweeted this out uh, from the mainline pod one. And uh, our defense is leading the conference uh, against the rush so far. And I mean, really, if you take out what Sam Ellinger got, especially after the fourth quarter started, uh, we're, we're, we're doing really, really well in the rush department. Um, but yeah, the pass defense is, is rough. And it's another week where, yeah, you can look at the stat line and Buki led the team in, in tackles. <laughs> but that just means that the other team is targeting him. They're picking on him. Uh, and that's really frustrating. Um, again, the dude's never played his natural position, which we recruited him as a cornerback. And I really think that's, that's where he should be. He should be backing up, you know, Trey Brown probably. And, uh, and that way he has the sideline as an extra defender to help him out on most plays because he is just not big enough to get out there and make a lot of the tackles that he needs to make and cover the guys that he's assigned to cover. 
And it, it's so hard watching Buki play because he plays with so much energy on the field. And then even listening to his post game, you know, press conference, the interviews that he does, he's such a well-spoken and impressive guy. And honestly, after listening to him answer those interview questions, you can't help but want to root, root for that kid. So, um, but but yeah, like I I get that, and it is on the coaches for uh, putting him in in bad positions to succeed. Uh, because he's not gonna, he's not gonna go up and you know contest a, a pass with a six foot six, six foot seven tight end. He's either going to get totally destroyed and run over, or he's going to commit a holding or pass interference. And the coaches need to at some point just say, hey, like it's not working out. Like we need to move you to a corner where you have a better chance at making some, you know, some interceptions and making some plays and tackling some guys that are a little bit closer to his own size. So. Now, he doesn't help himself with every time he hits a guy, gets dragged for nine extra yards, and then wags his finger at the opposing sideline and is chirping all the time. I think that's what makes it even worse. But, yeah, the coaches aren't putting him in a position to succeed. Well, and and I think that's definitely going to be one of the the many things that I'm going to be excited to watch this upcoming weekend because we know that TCU – or, excuse me, Texas Tech, they do have the ability – they've got the athletes outside where they can, you know, they can truly test those DBs, especially that nickel position – and I, I know that – I think that Jeremiah Cradell has been uh, – I thought that he's played really well. I know that we've seen him in limited action, but he kind of got a little bit of a run during the TCU, and I thought that he played well. I thought he held up really good pass coverage. He, you know, made some good open field tackles. So I keep hoping, again, that he's going to keep progressing. That way you can get him out to the field get, – get him out – excuse me, out onto the field a little bit more because he's a, you know, he's a bigger frame guy. Um, that's only going to make that secondary position, you know, not only hold up better in, uh, you know, pass or in pass coverage, but also it's got to make it a, a lot more encouraging seeing a bigger frame guy, six foot guy, being able to come up and make a tackle uh, compared to five foot nine. But uh, it seems like we touch on on Buki every single every single episode, and uh, again, we'll just see what happens. I, I think that he's your starter going into Lubbock on Saturday night. Like I said, he he led the team in tackles. Um, but we'll just see. So, Adam, that, that let's kind of transition over here into a uh, kind of a stock up, stock down uh, for for this uh, for after this past game against TCU, and honestly throughout the first part of the season. Uh, go ahead and give me a couple guys stock up right now for you. Yeah, stock up. It's kind of obvious, but uh, Marvin Mims. I think he's really pushing hard to be that number one guy. Uh, it's really just, you know, if the coaches are going to put him on the field, he's going to make plays. So big stock up to him. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Perry on Winfrey, he's, he's really starting to produce at a much more consistent level. There's a lot of talk about how scary, you know, the defensive line is going to look next year with him and maybe Perkins coming back and Isaiah Thomas and all those guys. And I'm almost at the point where he seems like the type of guy that is going to go pro after just one year. Um, and he's, I think he's going to start, continue to, to make more plays and put more on film as the season finishes out. So uh, he's really starting to disrupt a lot more. Yeah, and as the season has gone on, he's definitely starting to put some, some really good tape together that's definitely going to, you know, if he continues to do this throughout the remainder of the season, he is going to have a decision to make on whether or not he wants to, you know, t- take the leap and go up to the NFL. Uh, stock up for me, uh, I had Marquise Hayes. Uh, I know that he's somebody that we've really, uh, really been watching, really not not criticizing, but someone that hasn't really 
taken that next step after seeing him last year. But I thought that uh, against TCU, I thought he played his best game. He was extremely physical uh, in, in run blocking, put a couple guys on the ground, was was fundamentally sound and assignment sound also. Um, I, I thought that he played his best game uh, of the football season. And Isaiah Thomas st- stock up. Uh, you, you can make the case he's probably OU's best defensive player right now. I thought I think he's been extremely good throughout the uh, – uh, th- throughout the first five games of the year. And like you mentioned, if you do get Ronnie Perkins back and you've got uh, Perry on Winfrey right there inside, that's only going to create more opportunities for a guy like Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito out on the edge. So stock up Marquise Hayes and Isaiah Thomas. Stock down, Adam. Who you got? Stock down. Uh, I think he'll bounce back quickly, but Austin Stogner, uh, just the he dropped way too many balls on uh, on Saturday against TCU. I think he'll I think he'll pick it up back up and he'll finish out the year really strongly. But a little disappointing there. And then Seth McGowan, he had that great catch. Uh, I think it was on the first drive for forty plus yards. Had that uh, running route. wise, yeah, running wise, there wasn't really anything memorable from him in the running game. It was a lot more dancing behind line of scrimmage and not really hitting the hole. And I think you definitely see Ramondre Stevenson coming back into the picture now off suspension. So uh, I'm not sure what type of role McGowan's going to play for the rest of the year. You're, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. You're going to wonder how exactly Seth McGowan's going to fit in to, to the running back carries. I think that it's kind of what we saw with Marcus Major. Um, you're going to have a lot, of ta- a lot of carries taken away. And I think that that's going to be really fun to see that Ramondre Stevenson and TJ Pledger tandem. I think that those are going to be two backs that are really going to complement each other well. Uh, I, I think that that's. I think that those are two really good guys. Stogner. I think he'll bounce back. Um, if there's anything that we know about that kid, you know, he he's tough. He's competitive. I think that he'll he'll bounce back and he'll probably catch three touchdowns on Saturday night. So, uh, stock down for me. I got Charleston Rambo. I know that we've we've kind of critiqued him, criticized him, but. Kind of again coming into the year, there were a lot of expectations, a lot of praise that was that was thrown on his shoulders about the way that he was really starting to, you know, jump up there to be that wide receiver one in that room. And throughout the first five games of the year, he's made some good plays, but again, there's been more opportunities missed than plays that have actually been made. Whether it's you know deep balls down the field, not being able to get upfield on those bubble screens, and Dude, I, I don't know what I don't know what we need to do. If there's any way to get in contact with somebody, why, why is he returning kickoffs? He he's a straight line guy. Has no. It doesn't seem like he has very much agility compared to the other guys on the roster. When you look at a Marvin Mims or a Trey Brown, but I stock I down put for Seth me. Seth McGowan back there. I I think that that would be a good one also. But stock down Rambo for me. I uh, would like to see a little bit more. And I don't know. I don't know how much more you're going to get, especially given the fact that you've got Trajan Bridges coming back and Jaden Hazelwood here in a week or two. Well, what's interesting with Rambo is he had a pretty good year last year that kind of is forgotten because he did so much of that in the first couple of games. But uh, he had nearly 750 receiving yards last season with Jalen Hurts throwing him the ball. (laughs) And this year he's got 216 yards through five games with, I think, I think people say Spencer Rattler, you know, passing. He's not – if he's not better than Jalen Hurts, he's, he he's is. pretty close. He is. So, I, I, I agree. <laughs> so, it is odd that he is significantly worse than he was the year before. I know we're not playing some of the, you know, bad non-conference opponents, but he should be doing better. So, 
maybe he'll maybe he'll figure it out as the season goes on. But I do agree. I think his opportunities are are waning for sure. Yeah, and again, the ta- tallying up the receiving yards, he he's just got to be in a position where he's able to capitalize on those downfield, those big plays where uh, we've seen you know a handful of occasions this year where Rattlers hit him on a deep ball and it's either a drop, hits his hands, or you know it's just not it's just not a completion. So uh, stock down, Charleston Rambo. Hope to see him you know take a step forward uh, through the second half of the year. Uh, moving on to the Big 12, uh, what kind of what was going on around the conference? Week eight recap. Uh, four other really really good games, I guess, with the exception of what happened up in uh, Manhattan. But Texas beats Baylor 27-16. Horns get back on track. Uh, not the best performance. That was, that was such a quiet game. Like no one was talking about it. I know there was a big thing about the eyes of Texas afterwards, but it just felt like it didn't even happen like a tree that fell in a forest and no one heard it yeah it almost seemed like more attention was being paid to the stuff going on outside of football than than what was actually going on in between the lines so uh but again texas gets back on track they knock off baylor to um, improve to two and two on the conference uh moving up i-35 here to stillwater oklahoma state and who many people thought was going to be a preview of the big 12 championship game oklahoma state knocks off iowa state 24 21 uh to uh, you know keep the undefeated streak alive keep hold of that first place in the big 12 standings so what do you think of osu are they legit I still don't feel good about Spencer Sanders. He didn't show me anything that made me believe that he's any different than he was last year. But, and I think Brock Purdy is pretty overrated. He has not been that good this year. Uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, pro football focused article about the Big 12 quarterbacks, but he was rated eighth out of all Big 12 quarterback plays so far. And he's a junior. He's coming off a great year statistically. Um, he is not. He's not been it. So if he's not going to beat you, then a defense like OSU can just tee off on on Brees Hall, and they did. So uh, kudos to them. They look like a solid defensive team. I hope yeah. State does. I, I think they do. They're they're probably right now. I know they are statistically, but uh, again, they haven't played Texas yet. That that'll happen this weekend. Still haven't tackled you know OU K State, but Oklahoma State definitely seems like Mike Gundy's got a really good team this year. Uh, moving up to uh, Manhattan, Kansas State absolutely obliterated Kansas 55-14. to 14. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit later, but right now, in terms of betting or picking anything, uh, give me the side that's opposite of Kansas right now. It definitely looks like an 0-10 football season for less miles, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, I don't have much to say about that. Anytime <laughs> someone plays Kansas, it's kind of a snoozer. Yeah, well, and, and to kind of wrap it up, too, uh, Texas Tech, team the OU is going to see on Saturday night, they knock off West Virginia. This was probably the most surprising outcome. I, I, I thought that West Virginia would go into, would go into Lubbock and, and win that game you know, by, by a touchdown or so, but Texas Tech took it to them, 37-24, um, in, in a game that really Texas Tech controlled for the majority of that football game. So uh, the Red Raiders are going to have a little bit of momentum when OU comes rolling into town on Saturday night. Yeah, uh, homecoming game for West Virginia quarterback Jarrett Dagey. Uh, you know, we <laughs> tweeted about him a few weeks ago. He's a transfer from Bowling Green playing over Austin Kendall <laughs> at West Virginia. I just, I don't know, I just don't see them having uh, that much giddy up on the offensive side of the ball, which is a shame because uh, West Virginia has one of the better defenses in the conference uh, and even in the country, but uh, they can't capitalize on it with their offense. So Texas Tech, I don't know. I, I 
I don't know what to think about them. We'll go in, in depth a little bit more, but uh, solid win for them, I guess. Well, I, I want to throw this back to you because, you know, after week eight in, in the Big 12, you get Kansas State 4-0, tied with Oklahoma State at 3-0 at top of the Big 12 standings. Then right there after that, Iowa State 3-1, OU and Texas tied at 2-2, two and, two. Um, and then all the way down you see Kansas at 0-4. So going, in, going into the last weekend, we, we knew that OU, of course, had to win out. They were OU fans were cheering big time for uh, Iowa State to kind of knock off OSU. That, that way it would kind of you know pay, make the path towards a Big 12 championship appearance a little bit more feasible for, for OU, but – I know, Adam, I know that you kind of ran some calculations, kind of going through some, you know, this has to happen for this to happen. So what kind of chaos has to ensue on this back half of the of the conference schedule uh, for, for OU to kind of sneak in there to that two seed in the Big 12 championship game down in Arlington? Yeah, I think you really need uh, K-State and Iowa State to end up having three losses in the conference at this point. Um there's uh, statistically, you know, if you say every game is a toss up, it's 50, 50, um, you know, there's a, about a 28 and a half percent chance that both K-State and Iowa State lose three games from here out. Now, Iowa State's playing Kansas this week. I don't in any way think that's a toss up. So uh, I think the odds of that happening are even less. K-State, the more every week that goes on and the more that they win, the less I'm starting to believe that they're actually going to lose three games just because they're going to have to make so many mistakes and be so overmatched by whoever they're playing. Now they do have Texas, Oklahoma state and Iowa state still on the schedule, but I don't know. I don't know if Texas or Iowa state look all that scary at this point. Let me, let me, let me throw this to you because I was kind of looking at it, kind of figuring out a couple different scenarios at this point in the season right now, does OU almost want Kansas State to win out? Because they're undefeated in conference right now. We look at who they've got coming up. West Virginia, they're not in they're they don't play into it. They've got a date with Oklahoma State. K-State beats OSU. That gives them one loss, then gives OU an opportunity to beat OSU and gain the head-to-head. And then they still have a date with Iowa State. K-State knocks Iowa State off. That gives Iowa State two conference losses. And then essentially all you have to do is hope that Kansas – or hope that – excuse me. After that, all you have to do essentially is hope that Iowa State loses to either Baylor, Texas, or West Virginia. Yeah, I don't – you don't necessarily need them to win out. Just K-State needs to beat Oklahoma State and uh, and Iowa State. And so, you're, you're in a lot better shape at that point because then you're just looking at Iowa State losing one game. So for fans that are listening to it, for the for this upcoming weekend, OSU, Texas, and Stillwater, who does OU need to win? Texas? I would I, – I always hate watching that game because I hate both <laughs> those programs. But, but um, I, yeah, I would say Texas at this point simply because then you, you know that Oklahoma State's going to have an extra loss and you don't have to worry about the Oklahoma State aspect at this point. Okay. Then you're just down to – can one of Kansas State or Iowa State lose a total of three games? So I not, think Iowa State seems more likely to lose three at this point. They well, looked a little shaky. They they did in, in Brock Purdy. He hasn't looked his best since. I mean, I, I don't even think he played extremely well against OU. I, th- I thought that OU played uh, a pretty good game for the most part until late in the fourth quarter. But uh, definitely going to be something to to keep our eye on. We haven't. It, se- it seems like on the national landscape OU's always need a little bit of help to sneak into that final four but it's never really been in a position 
maybe honestly in the last six, seven, eight years before the Lincoln Riley era started where uh, OU's got to win out but also get some help around the conference itself uh, to kind of sneak back into that title game down in Arlington. So uh, that, that, that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on for. Not only you got to cheer for OU, but you got to uh, – I'll be pulling for some other Big 12 teams, different teams each and every week. So, uh, the, but again, there are a lot of good things coming up in the in the Big 12 this week. There'll be a few games to definitely keep our eye on. OSU-Texas being the game of the week probably in the conference. Uh, Adam, before we kind of get to the National College Football Roundup, now that we have reached the halfway point in the season, I kind of wanted to hand out some midseason awards uh, to some guys on this OU football team. So uh, kind of starting out here, who has been – who would you award the offensive MVP to on this football team? I got to give it to Marvin Mims. Uh, he's been the most consistent player. Uh, I think it was really just the Iowa State game where he was a little bit non-existent, but he wasn't on the field a whole lot. So, um, but every opportunity he's had, he's taken advantage of uh, scoring touchdowns in uh, four out of the five games so far. Uh, so he's been, he's been in the spotlight when he has, he's performed. Uh, I don't think you can say that for pretty much anyone else on the offense. So Marvin Mims was the guy that I had initially picked out. And after seeing you do it also didn't want to spend time talking about the same guy back to back time. So uh, I went with Spencer Rattler. And I kind of came, uh, kind of found a few statistics to kind of back up the the reason why giving him the offensive MVP. As a Spencer Rattler right now, he ranks fifth nationally, first among freshmen. Let me point that out: fifth nationally in passing efficiency, sixth in the country in passing touchdowns, eighth in the country in completion percentage, and eleventh in the country in total passing offense. And by the way, he's ranked twelfth nationally in total offense, both passing and rushing combined. So, for a redshirt freshman who I guess you, you could probably make a pretty good claim that OU played the hardest part of their schedule up front. It was kind of a front-loaded schedule. We've seen him progress. He's came a long way since that K-State performance where he threw uh, a couple critical interceptions. He got better towards the uh, the end of the Texas game, played his best game of the year down in Fort Worth two weeks ago. Uh, I, I got to go with Spencer Rattler since Marvin Mims is off the board. Uh, very, very excited to see that that, that tandem. Uh, what what they're going to do going into the second half of the year. Uh, throw it over to the defensive side. I think we both got the uh, same guy here, uh, but rightfully so, well-deserved. Yeah, I think you have to go defensive line. Uh, it's been the best unit, and Isaiah Thomas has been the leader there. He doesn't have you know, eye-popping sack numbers or anything like that yet, but he has been living in the backfield uh, in a lot of games and, and putting a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, making them move around in the pocket and getting sacks for other guys. So uh, he's been incredible. And it feels kind of strange that he's, a, I think, a redshirt junior now. And we saw some flashes of him last year, but for the most part, he was pretty quiet up to this point in his career. And you don't see that nearly as much in college football anymore. It's usually you're there, you're a freshman, and then you're a sophomore and you're an impact player. So um, I think that's pretty special that, you know, he's put in the work and it's finally paying off for him. And um, you don't see that type of patience. So it's been fun to watch his development. Like you said, he's kind of an older guy, seeing him put the work in and, and develop into, you know, under the tutelage of Calvin Thibodeau. Uh, I think that Isaiah Thomas, he, he's had a tremendous year. He's, you know, not, not only made – a ton of impact plays himself, but w when you've got a guy that's able to, you know, take that next step and be an impact player on his own, that creates a lot of opportunities for the other members of that defense to play play even better football as well. And and kind of what you were alluding to, anytime an OU or an Oklahoma kid is an impact player for the Sooners, that's always a fun story to watch. So 
Uh, Isaiah Thomas, defensive MVP, well-deserved, no doubt about that. Here's an interesting one for you. MVP coaching staff. Who's been the most impactful and had the best, whether it's a position group or particular player, what uh, what coach on the staff has had the best start to the year? I think I know where you're going. I think I think you do, but I I think I'm going to throw a little curveball here. I'm going to go with uh, quarterbacks coach Lincoln Riley on this one, and almost completely based off of what happened in the Texas game, the way he handled Spencer Radler, and I don't know if he intended it to work out this way with Tanner Mordecai coming in and running multiple series and then bringing Radler back or or exactly how he envisioned that during the game. Maybe it just worked out in his favor and by chance, but it did work out perfectly for him. So um, I think he's done a really good job just managing Spencer Radler. He has his decision making has improved each pretty much each and every game, it seems. And so uh, he's putting him in a, in a great position to succeed at this point. Yeah, I, I love that. I thought you were going to go with Calvin Thibodeau. Um, w- well-deserved defensive line has been the best position group on the field, but I really like the uh, the reasoning behind the Lincoln-Riley choice. So uh, hats off to the old ball coach. Uh, I went with uh, I went with Alex Grinch uh, on the defensive side for, for a couple different reasons. Uh, going into this upcoming season, or the current season, 2020 right now, uh, a lot of question marks on the OU defense. You look at what the defense lost to the NFL draft and a graduation last year. You lose Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore, Parnell Motley, three of your, your three best players at all three different levels of that defense, and then you throw on top of it. You don't have Ronnie Perkins for the first six games or who knows when he's going to come back. Jalen Redman opts out. You're, you, so you lose your top two defensive linemen. What does Grinch do? He's got a, a uh, predominantly underclass team. So far this year, Oklahoma ranks in the top 20 nationally in a bunch of different categories. We already mentioned seventh in rushing defense, opponent third down conversion percentage, uh, 11th in uh, op- opponent first downs per game, 15th in sacks, 19th in tackles for loss, and 16th in total defense right now. So uh, Alex Grinch, the the job that he's done, getting that, uh, that young group of guys back to a top 25-ranked defense, in, in the country right now with all those new faces and missing two of your biggest key contributors in Ronnie Perkins and Jalen Redmond. Uh, hats off to Alex Grinch. I think that he's done a, a really solid job uh, so far through 2020. Yeah, I will say I think maybe the most impressive thing that he's done was after K-State and Iowa State, which were not great performances, but really just for a couple plays here and there. The, men, the way he was able to hold the mentality of that team together to turn it around against Texas and then continue it against TCU where we're not missing tackles anymore, really. So uh, I think that's huge. I do have some small gripes, some small five foot six gripes uh, with uh, some of the things that uh, Coach Grinch is doing, but uh, overall, very pleased with where we're headed. Well, it's interesting too, kind of there's a comparison between Lincoln Riley and Grinch talking about how Lincoln Riley made the decision to kind of sit Rattler uh, early on in that Texas game, kind of calm him down, get him uh, kind of recentered, refocused, and also too kind of uh, what, what what OU fans have been you, you know reaching for, begging for 
is for some of those younger guys, especially in the secondary, to, to see their way onto the field. So for Alex Grinch to finally make the decision to rotate some of those you know true freshmen, sophomores into that rotation, uh, I think that it's paid dividends, especially when you're seeing the performance that you're getting from like a Woody Washington and a Jeremiah Cradell throughout the first part of this year. So uh, I've, I've got most disappointing player. I'm going to skip out on mine because I've already kind of uh, – Touched on this guy already earlier in the pod. For the listeners, you can probably tell who I'm going to go with uh, at the receiver position. But Adam, you got an interesting one uh, at the uh, on the offensive line spot for for most disappointing so far. Yeah, got to go with Stacy Wilkins. Uh, he's recently opted out. Some people think maybe that signals a transfer. Uh, it happened with EJ and Doma Ogar uh, just today, but uh, it is a little disappointing. We we thought you know he could have contributed even last season when we had some struggles with Eric Swenson on that left tackle spot. He was a true freshman, so it really wasn't realistic. So most people uh, focused more on this year and, and, you know, getting some time in the weight room. Of course that went all the way back in March. So I'm sure there's some setbacks there that really held him back, but then to see Anton Harrison, a true freshman come in and he's played really well, great for him. But the fact that he's passed Stacey Wilkins like that is, is a little disappointing. Um, so hopefully he can stick around and continue to push through because I think he's got talent and I think he he should have some opportunity to see some see the field uh, next year especially if you know Adrian Ely goes to the NFL draft early which it sounds like uh, that's becoming more and more a possibility well and, and you almost wonder too referring to Stacey Wilkins you almost wonder if he got over recruited you know looking at an Anton Harrison true freshman he's been he's been really good early on in his career throughout the first five games of the season and it sounds like OU's starting to you know really make some headway with Tristan Lee uh, one of the most highly coveted offensive tackle recruits in the country um, so it sounds like OU is uh, making some really good progress and it looks like looks pretty good for them so you kind of got to wonder where does Stacey Wilkins factor into it does he have to make the transition over to that right guard spot if Adrian Ely does declare for the NFL draft but um, a lot of a uh, lot of hype coming into the year with with Stacy Wilkins, uh, thinking that he was going to be a uh, impact player, and now he's not even suited up on Saturdays. So, uh, well, Adam, let's kind of transition over here. National College Football Roundup: some of the uh, big storylines that we saw going on around the country this past weekend. Uh, we'll start in Knoxville. Alabama defeats Tennessee forty-eight to seventeen. Crimson Tide offense was way too much in this one, and they dominate the Vols in Knoxville. But the story coming out of the game, Adam, is Alabama losing their star wide receiver, Jalen Waddle, for the year with a broken ankle. Yeah. Uh, that's unfortunate for Alabama's outlook. I don't think that really changes anything. I, they're they're going to run roughshod through everybody else. And uh, maybe when they play Georgia in the SEC championship or Clemson in the playoffs, maybe it, it'll make a difference. But they have so many guys. Um, and Mac Jones is proving that – he is, uh, he's just uh, pretty much as good as Tua in production. So uh, I don't think they really skip a beat there. What did you think of Nick Saban's comments uh, about it? Obviously, Waddle, uh, that happened on the first play of the game where Saban essentially th- kind of threw the kid under the bus. If I'm, you know, kind of speaking out of context, let me know. But uh, it kind of seemed like he threw the kid under the bus by telling the reporter at halftime, you know, we, we teach our kids when the ball's kicked that deep into the end zone not to take it out. So just, just kind of, Kind of a weird thing to say, losing your best player on the off on on your football team. Yeah, I'm sure that's something he told him never do, never bring the ball out of the end zone. And he did it, and then he got hurt. So, I think Saban probably felt you know he wanted to make a little bit of a point to the rest of the team, like 
don't ever go against what I say. He did catch <laughs> himself a little bit and say, well, he is one of the best players in the country. So, you know, you might, you might still break it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what do you expect from Saban? That's kind of who he is. And uh, Big Ten football was back this week. Uh, had a huge development today, but we'll start with last weekend. Wisconsin defeats Illinois Illinois, 45-7. to The quarterback position was something that the Badgers going into the year kind of had some concerns about graduating a guy last year. And then the guy who was going to be uh, – who they thought was going to be the starter this year, he has a season-ending injury uh, before even taking a snap. And that kind of throws Graham Mertz into the fire. He throws five touchdowns after or against Illinois – after the game, Mertz and his backup, so that's now the second and third stringer, they both test positive for COVID, so they're out 21 days. And uh, now the Badgers are on their four-string quarterback going into today. And now we've learned that Wisconsin versus Nebraska, uh, that that game's been canceled, and Wisconsin has shut down their program for a week. Yeah, watching Graham Mertz get in there, I know it was Illinois, but he was the highest-rated quarterback in Wisconsin history and it kind of felt like when Tua or I guess you could say even Jalen Hurts started at Alabama like that was the first time they had gotten out of a stone age offense and gotten an actual difference maker at quarterback now Wisconsin's running game has been so 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 good it really doesn't matter for about 95 percent of their games <laughs> if they have a quarterback that can do anything but it really felt like Graham Mertz was a difference maker and it, it is interesting that uh, he is from the Kansas City area and uh, really wasn't recruited much by K-State. Um, that was Bill, one of Bill Snyder's final years recruiting. So I'm sure K-State fans are kicking themselves about missing out on that opportunity because he looks looks great. But but yeah, from it's, it, I, I'm not laughing about people getting COVID, but it is funny to laugh at the Big Ten for how they've handled this situation. And they, they wanted to cancel the season and they basically tried to pressure everybody else into doing that. And then they couldn't really go back on their word. They had to go back and forth and back and forth. And then they finally did come back and guess what? Literally every conference came back with them. And now they're, they're you know, getting screwed over because they have all these crazy protocols and they waited so long to start and they're losing a big time game because of it. Well, you, you definitely, you've got to feel bad for the, the student athletes, the coaches and the fans also, because uh, Big Ten leadership failed that conference as a whole. You know, Kevin Warren, you know, I don't know if, you know, hero ball, but, you know, he tried to be the hero early on, made the executive decision to cancel it, thinking that other conferences would kind of follow suit and get in behind them. But, um, you know, pushing pushing back, continuing to push back multiple times, the start of the football season, not not giving himself enough leeway to where they were able to, you know, kind of build in some of those bye weeks. That way, in case you had what happened today where you've got Wisconsin having 10-plus people test positive for coronavirus and have to cancel the football game, they don't get to make that up. That's a game that's lost entirely, and yeah. it's it's definitely going to raise some flags around that conference because, you, you know, if, if – Look at Ohio State. If uh, if you've got five or six players that test positive for for COVID, you know the, those players are out for three weeks. That could cost you a couple games, and you're 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 out of it. So it's it's just been a complete dumpster fire by the by the Big Ten leadership so far. Yeah, it was good to have more games back on the schedule uh, and just more games to watch on TV. We saw Indiana get a, a big win over Penn State. Might have been uh -huh. a little bit questionable on that last play. Not really sure, but it's kind of like it's kind of like the youngest kids. Sometimes you just give them a little something just <laughs> because they never win a game. So that, that was a ton of fun to watch that. 
Um, I even watched uh, some of Northwestern and Maryland. Uh, I had the uh, the over under on that one. So I was watching very intently, probably one of 10 <laughs> people in the country that was doing that. Uh, Michigan, Michigan looked really good. Here we go again. Uh, Joe with Milton, the Michigan hype train. I, I will say Joe Milton looks like the best quarterback they've had in a while there. And Minnesota's not a bad opponent. So I'm impressed. Well, I don't think that they're going to beat Ohio State still, though. I, I thought that it was an impressive win, you know, going on the road, beat Minnesota by three touchdowns. And seeing the performance, I know that he wasn't, you know, super flashy, but it's obvious that the kid has got a lot of talent, a lot of potential. I thought that uh, it, it, it kind of looks like Michigan has found a quarterback in, in Joe Milton, and, and it makes you wonder why Shea Patterson was was starting, you know, last year when you saw the talent and the performance that Joe Milton put together. But, um, again, I, th- I thought that that was a huge win. That was one of the bets that I lost. I thought that Mich- or I thought that Minnesota would stay within a field goal, if not win outright, but uh, getting blown out by three touchdowns at home. Hats off to Michigan, and that's a, that's a big win for Jim Harbaugh starting the year off. Yeah, I was right with with you there on Minnesota beating Michigan, and uh, now they uh, they take on Michigan State. I have to give a mandated reference to Michigan State because I know we have a Michigan State listener, and uh, and so uh, Michigan State not a great opener against Rutgers, but Greg Schiano, um, he's done it once at Rutgers. He might turn him around again, and uh, Tennessee fans ought to be ashamed of themselves for <laughs> blocking that one. Yeah, few years back. Couldn't agree more. Some other notables, Notre Dame, Blast, uh, Pitt, 45 to 3. Uh, and then honestly, probably I, I didn't have I didn't get a chance to watch any of this game, but I thought that it was going to be a really good, really competitive football game. And then I was kind of taken back when I saw the final score the next day. Number nine, Cincinnati destroys SMU oh, yeah. 42 to 13. Uh, if if you would have told me before the game that Cincinnati's defense was going to hold Shane Bouchelle and that Mustang offense to 13 points, I would have thought there's no way. But it seems like Cincinnati, they're definitely going to be a team to reckon with going down the line. Yeah, they jumped up to number seven in the polls. They play Memphis this Saturday, and uh, that's another respectable win if they can pull that off. They look a lot different than some of these UCF, SMU, Memphis teams where their defense is on another level. Um, just the way and the havoc that they are able to create. I know back before Alex Grinch got hired, we talked, there's a little bit of talk about Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator as being a candidate here at OU. I would sure say, Hey, if, if Alex Grinch gets hired somewhere else or, or whatever might happen, I'd give a strong look to to Marcus Freeman because he is doing something special there uh, at, at Cincinnati. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's kind of fun looking around all these, you know, non-Power 5 conference teams like a a Cincinnati, a Marshall, BYU has got a really good team this year. Uh, Seeing how competitive and and honestly dominant they've been throughout the entire season really, you know, really makes you wonder as Big 12 fans, uh, wouldn't mind trading like a uh, K-State or Kansas for maybe a BYU or a Cincinnati. So, uh, but those have definitely been some – yeah, let me ask you about Cincinnati. They're number seven right now. And we talked a little bit about them potentially being a playoff contender right now. Um, and obviously, this is not the college football playoff rankings, but they are number seven as of right now. Uh, ahead of them, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. I think everybody looks at those as your solid top three in the playoffs. After that, you've got Notre Dame. Notre Dame would have to beat Clemson at least once to be considered for a playoff role. I don't think Correct. that they can do that. So I think they fall out of the of the top four. Uh, top four Georgia's right behind them I still don't think Georgia can beat Alabama again 
or it beat them in the SEC championship game. But there's possibility. We'll see what, we'll see what JT Daniels can do. Yeah. And then you got Oklahoma State at six. I guess there's a shot they could go undefeated. I'm not going to disrespect them enough that I don't think that they can. That, that's where schedule. I think that that's where the conversation gets interesting. If you've got an undefeated Cincinnati and you've got an undefeated Big 12 champion, Oklahoma State at the very end of the year, who's going to have, you know, they're, they're going to have a, a, an impressive win over Oklahoma, chance that they're going to beat either a really good Oklahoma team again or, you know, maybe Iowa State, Kansas State. But you're, it's, it's almost going to be like, is the argument going to be, is the Big 12's reputation, essentially OU's reputation in the college football playoff the last four years, is that going to hurt Oklahoma State's chances in that argument where the college football playoff committee could say, well, we're going to give Cincinnati. It's already a crazy year to begin with. Uh, maybe we throw Cincinnati in there and, uh, and really mix it up. I don't see that, that be- happening because you, you talk about almost anarchy. Can you imagine if a big, an undefeated Big 12 championship team gets left out to an undefeated Cincinnati? I, I just don't see it happening. It couldn't happen to a better team and fan base than Oklahoma State. So I would be all on board for that scenario. But, um, but yeah, I, I know I still think Big 12 champion would get in over Cincinnati uh, if they're if Oklahoma State's undefeated. But I uh, I don't think we'll I don't think we'll have that situation play out. Uh, and again, if, if that does happen, Oklahoma State that's the team that I would love to see that happen to them. A and M Texas, either of the three, uh, sign me up for that. Uh, well, Adam, let's kind of get to our uh, get to our betting cards for for week nine. Let's kind of recap week eight. I'll make this short and sweet because I was. I was bad for the second week in a row, going two and three last week, taking my total up to eight and nine on the year, 47% winning percentage. That's not going to get it done. And Adam, back-to-back four and one weeks, dude. Nicely done, taking you up to 11 and five on the year. Like I said last week, I hope you're putting a little bit of cash on it because eight and two uh, combined last two weeks, nicely done, dude. I will say the – the week I decided to put some money on this is probably the week I go one and four instead of four and one. <laughs> so, well, I, th- this looking at the card, I didn't really, there wasn't really a game or two that just kind of stuck out as, oh, that's a definite play other than maybe Iowa oh, yeah. State and Kansas. But uh, let's just kind of dive into it. I, I'm not feeling too good about these, but let, let's go for it. You lead it off, Mr. Four and one. Yeah. First off, I've got UCF. They're a two and a half point favorite at Houston. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's on fire right now for Central Florida. Uh, I don't think that Houston can keep up with them. Um, I'd say it's going to be somewhat similar to how BYU and Houston match up went a few weeks back. So uh, I like USCF to to cover that one. Cool. Uh, Have not had it. I got a chance to watch Houston a couple weeks ago. Dana Holgerson seems like they're either hot or cold. Uh, But again, two and a half. I think that that's, you know, essentially – uh, UCF's favorite in that game because three points is is what it's worth playing on your home field. So I think that's a good pick. Uh, first one for me, I'm going North Carolina minus six and a half on the road at Virginia. Sam Howe, that Tar Heel offense, I think that they're going to be able to score at will against Virginia. And not that Virginia is a bad team as a whole, uh, but I just don't trust that that Virginia offense to be able to keep up with them, at least keep it within six and a half. Uh, so give me the Tar Heels minus six and a half on the road. Uh, against the Cavaliers. Yeah, I like that one. I had that same pick as well. Uh, Virginia hasn't scored more than 23 points so far this year. So I feel pretty confident UNC can get to 30 on them. Uh, So I I went with UNC to cover as well. Cool. 
second for second for me, I've got Western Kentucky at BYU. I'm taking the over 52 and a half. Uh, for, for this game, BYU is averaging 45 points a game, 550 yards of offense. Western Kentucky has struggled in all but uh, uh, what? They've struggled in all but two of, of their six games so far this year. So uh, I, it would not surprise me if BYU uh, gets to the 52 and a half by themselves. So uh, give, me, give me the Cougars uh, to go over in, in that game against Western Kentucky. Yeah, I got pretty familiar watching Western Kentucky. Uh, they have Tyler Pigram transfer from Maryland playing quarterback for them, and uh, Liberty beat them pretty soundly in the opener. Uh, he's really not a passing threat. So, yeah, I think BYU can <laughs> cover that by themselves. Uh, for my next pick, I went with uh, Iowa State at Kansas. The over-under is 52. Another situation, I think Iowa State could score uh, you know, 52 on their own. Kansas State did last week uh, with 55. So I think that's pretty easy over there. Uh, I'm t- I'm taking this game also, but I'm going to go with Iowa State to cover 28 and a half. Um, that that's always a, that that would be a no brainer for me if if the game was played up in Ames. But again, we know how uh, it, it's almost a sleepwalk going up to Lawrence to to play Kansas in football. So um, would I could definitely see this being something where Iowa State jumps on them early, puts the game away at halftime, and then I'm spending the entire second half. Uh, on the edge of my seat praying that Kansas doesn't get a backdoor cover, which they've already burned me on once this year already. So uh, give me the Cyclones to cover 28 and a half against Kansas. Uh, I, I like that one. So what, what you got for number four or number three for you? Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to jump to the end of my list because I am waffling on my third pick right now. Uh, I, so I'll go with my, my last one here. Uh, I've got UTSA to cover the five and a half at Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic has only played two games so far this year and to be a five and a half point favorite, I know they're playing at home, but uh, UTSA played BYU, probably the toughest of any opponent so far this year. I think they're pretty solid. So I like UTSA to, to cover that and possibly win uh, at Florida Atlantic. I like that. I, I think that that's uh, I think that's a good one. Definitely, uh, definitely want to keep an eye on uh, number four for me. Uh, I'm going to stay in the Big 12. Uh, I'm going to go out to, uh, to to West Virginia, go to Morgantown, K-State, traveling uh, to, to take on West Virginia. Over-under on this game set at 46. That's not a lot of points, although that both of these teams have really good defenses and, and again, probably not too much firepower. Kansas State probably has more firepower on their special teams unit uh, after seeing what their punt returner did against Kansas last week. But uh, – I think that this is a, a close game th- throughout the throughout the entire football game, but we get a late touchdown probably from K-State at the end of it to put it over. So uh, K-State, West Virginia, I'll take the over 46 points up in Morgantown on Saturday night. Nice. All right, what's it going to be? Uh, I'm, still, I'm still kind of on the edge here. I'm going to stick with what I originally had. I was, I was considering Baylor and TCU. TCU is – uh, two and a half point favorite and Baylor just lost one of their, their running backs uh, to opt out. They, Baylor just doesn't look that impressive, uh, but neither does TCU. So I'm going to stay away from that one. Uh, I'm going to go with my original, which was Arkansas at A&M. They have a 54 and a half uh, over under. I'm going to take the over on that. A&M has been scoring, uh, been allowing over 29 points a game. Uh, I, I'm tempted to take Arkansas to, to cover the 12 on this, mm-hmm. but um I think that one's going to be a little bit higher scoring. 
So over 54 and a half Aggies and Razorbacks. Okay, got you down for that. I'm going to call an audible on my final pick. I originally had BYU and Air Force. I'm going to throw that out the window, mainly because I've never seen either one of these two teams play. But I liked Boise State. I'm going to go out to Lubbock. Um, I should have went with OU last week. I stayed away from it just because you never, you never, you stay away from betting on the team that you root for. Um, but, but again, 14 and a half points OU's favored by against Texas Tech. If OU's the team that we saw from last week and they can continue to take another step forward, uh, to where this is a team that you're supposed to go on the road and dominate, you're going to get Ramondre Stevenson back the best running back, arguably second or third best running back in the Big 12 Conference going into the year. Uh, Texas Tech runs a 3-3-5 defense. They are the worst in the Big 12 against the run. Uh, I think that this is a big-time rushing attack for OU that rolls into Lubbock. I'd like them to cover 14.5 uh, on Saturday night. So OU minus 14.5, that's going to round out my five. Let me change that right now. I, uh, I have a personal rule. I will never uh, pick OU for that. Um, even though I'm not usually not putting any money on anything, but I just, I can't, uh, I can't non-biased look at uh, the spreads or anything on OU. Cool. Oh, well, it's, it definitely, it, as if it's not nerve wracking enough watching an OU football game, but throw a little money on there. Uh, <laughs> might, might have to make that drink a, a little extra stronger. So, but th- that kind of wraps up week nine betting cards. We'll get those posted up there. Uh, we'll see if Adam can go three weeks in a row, four and one records. If, Honestly, I might put a little bit of money on your bets. Uh, hasn't failed you the last two weeks, so uh, yeah, let's kind of let's we'll, kind of move. Well, the fly to Vegas if I get another four and one. If you go four and one, I'll cover your ticket for us to go out there. So <laughs> COVID be damned, we'll, we'll we'll make it out there. But uh, let, let's move on to our uh, our kind of our fun topic for the week. We we always do a few of these Mount Rushmore questions. Our top four personal favorites uh, category this week. I went with sports movies. So, Adam, lead us off here. What's uh, you don't have to go in any particular order, but what's the first movie that's on the uh, your Mount Rushmore uh, on the sports category? Yeah, first one was really easy for me. Uh, remember the Titans, and uh, I remember as a kid uh, watching this. This was probably one of the first movies that uh, I felt like was more of an adult movie that I got to watch as a kid. So it was pretty exciting from that. But um, just a great story, uh, great sports movie, really well made. Uh, well-acted, well-produced, acted, uh, directed. So um, I want to remember the Titans. Yeah, Classic. The, that's uh, that's an all-timer. I, I had that one at number five when trying to narrow down my list. Uh, Denzel, I mean, he's a big-time actor, but honestly doesn't get much better than him playing Coach Boone in that movie. It's, it's fantastic, especially uh, kind of all the, uh, the racial division, that time period, seeing that team come together, a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, that hopefully could still be applied to today. So uh, number one for me, I went with Rocky. Yeah, I know, kind of cheesy. The The movie's fantastic. Uh, but honestly, one of the things that kind of makes it uh, kind of stick out for me is kind of the story behind how the movie was made. Uh, Stallone didn't have a penny to his name. You know, he had no car, $106 in the bank, had to sell his dog to pay the bills. He wrote that he sat down and he wrote that movie in three days. So he t- and then he turned down hundreds of thousands of dollars from film from film companies in Hollywood because Stallone wanted to actually star in the movie himself, but they keep telling him no and no and no. And finally, lo- probably one of the luckiest film companies in the world taking a chance on that because we see how much has kind of come from that uh, that movie franchise. But they bought the script from him. He stars in it. It's probably it, 
it's probably a top two, three sports movie for me. It's about as America as, as it gets. Uh, Rocky versus Apollo got the true underdog theme growing up in that tough city of Philadelphia and kind of seeing him overcome himself and, and, uh, he doesn't end up winning the fight, but it's, it's just a fantastic movie and, uh, Rocky's number one for me. Yeah. After I put down, remember the Titans, I realized how few movies I've seen <laughs> and I, I was just browsing through, you know, some list online of what other people's thoughts were on sports movies. I'm just like, I don't know. None of these are really doing it for me. So I went, uh, I went comedy uh, for my next one. I had to go with happy Gilmore and Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah. classic. Um, so many quotable lines. Um, and it's, it's just memorable in a lot of ways. So uh, always love watching that one. I actually watched that one last week and whether, whether you're watching the movie, you're hanging out with your buddies or you're on the golf course itself, seems like a happy Gilmore reference is always brought up in some form or fashion. So, uh adam sandler that's probably his one of my top one of my top movies for for him so happy gilmore that's an all-time classic uh number two for me again i'm gonna stick on kind of the more serious side i went with hoosiers i grew up playing basketball i'm a big basketball fan norman dale the kind of the reputation behind indiana high school basketball kind of you know it supersedes itself uh the again the underdog story you know jimmy chatwood run the picket fence uh, small town Indiana uh, Indiana school that you know rises up and wins the state championship. So uh, Norman Dale, uh, f- fantastic movie, cannot recommend it enough. So give me Hoosiers uh, in that second head spot uh, on Mount Rushmore. Nice. Have you have you seen that? Have you seen that? I've never seen Hoosiers. Have you seen Rocky? I have once. Okay, we'll 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 work on. It. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like when I first saw this, I thought, oh, this will be easy. You know, I've seen tons of sports movies. And then I realized, like, ah, maybe I haven't. Um, for my third one, I've got a movie I don't think you've seen. I don't think hardly anyone has seen this. Uh, Rebound, a basketball movie starring uh, Martin, Martin Lawrence. I've seen it. Yep. Owned it. You have? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I know that it was just, it was a fun movie growing up that my family liked to watch. It has a 3.7 out of 10 star rating on whatever this website I'm on. So uh, if you kind of go into it with that type of mindset, it's, it's a ton of fun to watch. Um, so I think there's probably some sentimental uh, connections to that movie for me. Cause it's, you know, by and large, not the greatest movie. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember the, the two best characters that I like was the kind of the tall lanky, awkward kid sledge. Uh, Ledge, and then uh, what, what was the kind of the, the stout girl, kind of the post? Uh, Big Mac. Yeah, Big Mac. Okay, I can see it right now. Yeah, the uh, and Mark Mart Lawrence, outstanding comedian. I really like that. I honestly forgot about that movie until I was going down our list and, and saw that you'd put that on there. So, uh, Rebound is, is fantastic. Uh, I, I'm, for number three for me, I'm going golf. Golf's probably my favorite sport to actually play actually play growing up and it's kind of a romantic comedy but any golfer out there honestly any sports fan i hope that you've seen this adam if not shame on you go watch it rent it right now 10 cup kevin costner roy mcavoy kind of a uh, a, a drunk driving range west texas college legend uh who kind of overcomes himself it's a comedy kind of the fights that he gets with his caddy uh girlfriend's a stripper who actually owns the driving range that he works at and he overcomes all odds and wins the u.s open making a 12 or excuse me comes in second god getting ahead of myself comes in spoilers well it's it's been out for like 25 years so i I think that that's probably past the the deadline point so 10 cups number three for me 
uh, go ahead and finish this off. Round it out. Yeah, I got to go with this one. Uh, I don't think this is last on the list, but uh, we did these in no order. The Water Boy. You got to go with this one. Probably more quotable than Happy Gilmore. Um, that might be Adam Sandler's best movie. Uh, Mr. Coach all- Klein. <laughs> Mr. Coach Klein. Uh, water sucks. It really does. <laughs> he does have some really good ones. The Water Boy, number four. Solid, solid pick. You really can't go wrong with The Water Boy or Happy Gilmore. Uh, in terms of sports movies. So shout out Adam Sandler, fantastic. Um, I'm going to go with another serious movie. Um, have you seen Miracle? About the nope. uh, 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team? It is, by- it is on my Netflix list, and it has been on there for probably a year and a half. <laughs> you got to watch it at some point. Uh, I 19, take the time for it. 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, Herb Brooks defeated the Soviets. Who That, that Russian team was probably... Uh, the, the dynasty that the, those guys have built over, you know, pretty much two decades going undefeated in the Olympics, three straight years. Uh, Kurt Russell, he was perfect for that role uh, to play Herb Brooks. His, uh, his pregame speech before the Soviet match, uh, you know, the great moments are born from great opportunity. To this day, that's probably my favorite pregame speech that's ever been played in a movie. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And uh, it, it's patriotic as hell. It's an underdog feel good story. And just has an awesome message to it, you know, uh, with, that with, you know, grit, determination, hard work, busting your ass, you can achieve any goal that, that you lay out in front of you. So uh, I've got Rocky, Hoosiers, 10 Cup, Miracle, that's my four. And Mr. Jacquez, we got Remember the Titans, Happy Gilmore, Rebound, and The Waterboy. I know which one, I, I know which, I know whose list I'm going to watch uh, if I want a good laugh. So I, I think that those are two really good Mount Rushmore's. I do want to throw out an honorable mention. Threat Level Midnight, probably the second best hockey movie ever made. You know, it, it, it's almost a shame that, that that movie got snubbed whenever it came to an Oscars nomination. So, Truly. Uh, a, uh, what, what was it? A uh, joint Michael Scott production? Is, is that what it was? The uh, company that put that together? So, great Scott. <laughs> but yeah, great Scott. But yeah, fa- fantastic there. And Adam, let's kind of close it out here. OU's going down to Texas Tech. Halloween night, this upcoming Saturday, 7 o'clock kickoff. Um, we've kind of put the narrative to bed. That's kind of been a, a lot of the uh, – on the message boards, a lot of sports talk radio, the whole, you know, where things happen in, in Lubbock on, on Saturday nights. OU hasn't lost there in, I don't know, what, a decade. They've lost three times there in, in the last 30 years. Um, but, again, this, this is a game where if OU is the team that we think they are and they're continuing to make these strides, OU should win this game going away. Yeah. I agree. It should be should be a pretty easy win. I don't really have a lot of faith in uh, in Texas Tech's offense right now. T.J. Vasher, uh, their best receiver, he's questionable. Sir Roderick Thompson, pretty solid running back, he's questionable. Um, and then Henry Columbi or Columbi, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name exactly, but um, he's he's been decent. He's not taking a lot of risks throwing the ball. A lot of his completions are are under six yards. And so he does have a high completion percentage rating, but he's not pushing it down the field very much. So he is a little bit more of a runner than Alan Bowman, but he's not particularly fast. Um, I would say his speed is somewhat similar to Baker Mayfield, but not so nearly he, as crafty of as a runner. Is he a less athletic version of Max Duggan that you saw a week ago? From the limited amount that I've seen, I would say yes. 
Duggan didn't really try to run a whole lot, and we probably did a good job containing him. Uh, I think uh, I think Texas Tech's guy is going to try to run a lot more. I just don't think he is much of a risk taker down the field. So we'll see how that plays out. But I just don't. He doesn't seem like the type of guy. Knock on wood. <laughs> that's going to have a career day against OU's defense. Well, we've never seen that happen before. So nope. Um, and, and again, the offensive rankings for, for Texas Tech, and again, these numbers are kind of skewed, especially since, you know, uh, Bowman's not the quarterback anymore. Um, Texas Tech is really kind of middle of the road. They're ranked fifth in the Big 12 in scoring, although they are scoring 32.2 points a game. I would be shocked if, if OU lets it get to that point. If it gets, if Texas Tech has scored plus 30 points, OU's going to be in a dogfight late in the second half. Um, but kind of what we were referring to earlier when talking about the running back position for OU, Texas Tech's got the worst run defense in the conference by far. And when you look at the scheme that they run in a 3-3-5, only having three down linemen and three linebackers to kind of round out that box, oh, you should be able to run the football, you know, at, pretty much at will. And given the fact that they're going to have a 250-pound, hungry, eager-to-go Ramondre Stevenson, uh, oh, you should have their best running game of the year. So, um, Adam, you got a couple, uh, you got a couple different over-unders here. Uh, on, on this game, do you kind of have some, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Or you got some questions about it or what, what you looking well, at? Well, I want to ask you your opinion. Uh, Mike Houck tweeted out some stats uh, on Sunday about some of the previous matchups with Texas Tech, where, where Lincoln Riley's offense, yeah. Um, where, where Lincoln's really dominated the, the Texas Tech defense, which a lot of teams have, but definitely to another level uh, because of Lincoln's offensive prowess. And so, um, since 2015, OU's averaged 683 total yards against Texas Tech. Would you, if you were a betting man, which I guess you are, but uh, would you take the over or under on that uh, this Saturday? 683 total yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm taking the under on that, uh, just yep. because I think that I think that OU will be a predominantly rushing team this weekend. Uh, Spencer, rather, I think he'll have a few big plays in the air, kind of what we saw against TCU. I think that is the blueprint right now for OU to have success. Um, I 683. That's a ton of yards. I think that that number is kind of, kind of inflated by that 2016 Baker versus Mahomes game um, that that we saw. I, I God, I hope that it doesn't get into a situation like that. But uh, I think that OU goes for probably about 550 or so, uh, and, and they win comfortably. So I'll take the under on that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we're especially the TCU game. We're we're seeing a preview more and really we haven't except for the Missouri state game, we haven't hit 40 in regulation yet. So this offense is still finding its footing. And at the same time, the defense has been solid enough where they haven't had to score a ton of points, at least in the first half and the first three quarters in most games. So um, I, I think it would be really tough for us to hit that 683. Um, on the other side, you've got 49 total points uh, scored on average by OU. Would you take the over or under? I guess this will get us a little bit towards the uh, score prediction, but uh, over or under on 49 total points scored for OU. I'm taking the over on that. Um, <clears throat> I, again, I think the offense will be able to move the ball at will on this Texas Tech defense. I think that this is the week where we get a Marvin Mims punt return touchdown, and it would not surprise me if you see a pick six from this team because I think that I think the Alex Grinch he's going to dial it up uh he's going to let the the defensive line let Nick Benito pin their ears back and kind of get after that new new quarterback um I think that this will be one where you see Marvin Marvin Mims take one to the house and maybe maybe we see a Woody Washington 
uh, do do a pick six would definitely be uh, definitely be excited for that. So give me give me the over forty nine points on Saturday night for OU. I would love to see it. I uh, hope you're right. I would love to see a pick six. I think uh, the last time we saw that was uh, Buki against South Dakota last year. Who? <laughs> exactly. So uh, we need someone to uh, to freshen that up. So um, I, I'm right there hoping that happens as well. Okay, so you're taking the under on that. So we're split hairs there. Uh, Texas Tech, they coming into this game scoring an average of 32.2 points a game. Uh, we highlighted earlier in the podcast the uh, the the impressive uh, statistical ranking that OU's defense has had so far this year. Uh, over under 32 points for Texas Tech on Saturday night. Yeah, I'm taking the under on that all day. I don't think that uh, Tech can get their offense rolling against what our defense is doing over the last couple of games. And again, with Kansas State and Iowa State, OU was probably like three plays away from having a really great defensive performance against both of those teams. So I really like OU's uh, chances in that one. I do think Texas Tech's um, numbers are a little skewed from the Houston Baptist opener where they had to score a ton of points. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a great point. Well, Adam, let's let's close it out here. Um, Sooners, Red Raiders, seven o'clock this Saturday night. Who wins? Give me your score and why. I've got OU forty-five to twenty. I was really, really, really close last week. I had thirty-four seventeen. It turned out thirty-three fourteen. Uh, so yeah, I've got OU forty-five twenty. I again, I I kind of think we're going to start entering at least until proven otherwise. I think we're kind of in an era where. Uh, we're going to win games a little bit lower scoring than we've seen in the previous couple of years. I'm going to stay pretty close to where you're at right now. Uh, I've got OU winning 52 to 23. Uh, I think that this is where we really see uh, the offense kind of hit their full stride. Uh, the defense, I think that they'll give up a few plays, uh, but again, 23 points. Anytime you give up only 23 points in the big 12, OU should be able to win and win handily. Uh, again, I, I'm going to hammer it until it, until it sinks in, but I think that uh, OU should really be able to assert their will and, and dominate in the running game. So uh, I, I think that this could be one of those games where you see the OU running backs have, you know, f- you know, five total touchdowns between the three of them. And maybe, you know, look out for, for someone like Mikey Henderson and, and Jeremiah Hall, see if, they, if uh, Lincoln can get them involved out of the backfield. So 52-23 OU, um, they're going to have a lot of momentum, dude. Uh, I think that they're going to be four and two coming out of this game. Uh, got a bye week and essentially another bye week against Kansas a week after that. And I think that it's looking really good. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a huge showdown uh, in Norman for Bedlam this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all signs point to that, but got to Got to get out there and actually put one of those scores up that we predicted. If it comes out, you know, under the 14 point spread, I think you don't feel nearly as good. So yeah, yeah. Got to put it, uh, put it on the field. Last thing, Texas, Oklahoma State, Stillwater. Texas, keep it close. Pull the upset. I mean, with Sam Ellinger, you always got to think that they'll be in the game and keep it close. But they seem pretty one-dimensional with his running. Uh, Now, they did put a bigger effort against Baylor to get running backs involved, and it worked in their favor. But, uh, yeah, I I just – I don't have faith in Texas in that one. But I also know Mike Gundy, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do there. I trust Ellinger. I, I think that he's going to keep. I think that he's going to keep Texas in it. I honestly think that Texas has the defense to to kind of match up good with OSU's offense. So again, 
Uh, it's kind of up in the air right now. We're unsure what Spencer Sanders can do in his second year throwing the football. Uh, but I definitely think that Texas's front seven is going to be able to, um, you know, go head for head, pound for pound uh, with, with Oklahoma State's offensive line, maybe stop the running game and force Sanders to beat them throwing the football. So I think that it'll be a, an extremely competitive close game. Um, I kind of hope Texas wins just because it helps OU's Big 12 chances, but at the same time, too, I'll be really happy if OSU blows them out, uh, kind of put the final nail in, in Herman's coffin. But I think that that's going to be a, a really exciting game on Saturday that I'm going to be excited to watch. So, uh, well, Adam, before we get out of here, anything else going on uh, in the world of sports? Uh, we've got a big week next week, uh, November 3rd. Don't forget to vote. Uh, we got a we got a big week. Anything else before we get out of here, dude? No, I'm just uh, waiting for my Maction to come back midweek because there's nothing on tonight. <laughs> this is like the uh, first night in I don't know how many weeks that there's not some form of sports. Now that baseball is over, uh, congrats to the Dodgers. Uh, that, that's a that's a sticky situation right now with the, the guy testing positive for COVID during the eighth inning, and now they're saying that uh, he tested positive the day before, but they still let him play. So that's going to be interesting to follow. So, but Adam, again, appreciate, appreciate you doing this. This is always good. One of the best parts of the week. OU Texas Tech, seven o'clock Saturday night in Lubbock. Uh, Lincoln Riley, Spencer Rattler. Uh, it's going to be a good one. OU has a chance to really build some momentum going into a bye week. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. So again, appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, and, and again, follow us uh, on, on Twitter at the mainline pod, pod one. Uh, subscribe, hit the like button, leave us a review. Give always appreciate you guys' feedback, and we will be back early next week. Uh, hopefully, talking about a, an OU victory. And uh, again, appreciate you guys, Adam Jacquez, Tyler Burton, signing off here from another episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs>